0: Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Teacher Takeaway Podcast. We are in Season 2, Episode 5, and we have got our very first special guests. I'd like to welcome both Sam and Trent from the Cyber Safety Project, who are joining us on a Thursday evening, as we do from our bedrooms. And we're going to get into a very deep conversation tonight about how do we promote Positive digital well-being and cyber safety in our classroom. I'd like to welcome back our usual guest hosts, Alice. Hello, everyone. And James.
1: Hello, everyone. Thanks for joining us again.
0: And Aaron. Hello. I am Beck and hello, Trent and Sam. Welcome to the show this evening.
2: Hello, hello everybody. Thank you so much for having us. What a lovely introduction. You really filled our buckets there, Beck. Thank you. <laughs>
0: If I can't fill my own, I'll fill someone else's. It's fine. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, we're coming to you tonight because obviously considering everything we've been through in the last few years, our kids are so much more exposed and accessible in this technology sphere we know this both at home and in the classroom we can see some gaps in the use of technology at home and in the classroom and really we know that this impacts us as a as a society as families as human beings and we want to make sure that we're really focusing on well-being of our kids and their safety, obviously, when we're talking about getting into the digital sphere. So we have some questions prepped for you, if we're okay to dive straight into those. <laughs> um, our first one is obviously to just tell us a little bit about yourselves and the Cyber Safety Project. So Sam or Trent, who wants to go first?
2: Well, I can go first, Trent, if that's all right. It's um, right. It's been a really amazing journey uh, working alongside uh, the great man, Trent Ray. Uh, we actually met teaching together um, about a decade ago now believe it or not Um, we're working at the same school in in victoria Um, we're in sort of different year levels to sort of start off with but uh, there was a few incidences that actually occurred some uh, one in particular a bit of a critical incident that occurred with a student in, in my class that sparked a bit of a passion around cyber safety which is something i never thought i would say being passionate about cyber safety um but it was this incident that really opened up our eyes um sort of after the fact of a bit of an online grooming situation of a couple of things first of all how obviously uh, common technology use is for young people and um, what that tech- technology use actually opens up to young people. I mean, we've only seen since this incident happened um, all those years ago, you know, technology use in young people absolutely skyrocket. And then the last two years, as you mentioned, Beck, in terms of the pandemic, that use has increased even more and more. And When we think about how it all sort of started when we were teaching together and then Trent moved on to to Microsoft, we were sort of talking about how could we talk about cyber safety in more of a proactive way. I mean, in experiences that we had and even our education around cyber safety, it was very, very reactive, almost waiting for something to happen before we got the kids in the room and almost yelled at them for something silly that somebody else had done online. So we worked really, really hard piloting a few programs and looking at how cyber cyber safety education could be really more holistic, not just involve the student, but also the parents, the community, and of course, the, the teachers as well. So that this is a conversation that isn't just happening at the start of the year when the year students get their iPads, but it's happening throughout the whole year and consistent messaging language between classroom and at home. Are you Trent? Yeah,
3: and I guess one of the big things for us was considering the challenges that we faced when Sam found the incident happening on the school-based devices of this online groomer working with one of the students in his class. It really opened our eyes to thinking about what is it that we need as educators to be able to prepare our kids to be ready for this world that they're in. And I guess one of the big things that we learned through the experience was Um, you know, that student even just said, like, I didn't know who I was talking to wasn't really who they said they were. And that really opened our eyes to think, hey, we need to get in a little earlier with some of these conversations. And and also, like Sam said, having a, a, you know, a consistent way of approaching it and having a framework. I remember teaching grade four and having a whole unit that we'd created around some video materials that we'd found online to deliver that first lesson with my students, a whole unit on cyber safety. And the kids told me, said, Mr. Ray, we saw these videos last year. And I guess that really, you know, there are are so many resources out there that we can all pilfer and take from the internet but if we don't have a consistent approach a con- consistent language that we use across our school and a framework that we all embed and work together that that's that is a challenge and we're probably just going to be spinning the same wheel so we've worked really hard to have two elements to our program one is a curriculum framework that is a, a, a lessons and activities that teachers can use across their school for from foundation through to grade 6 But we also have our incursion program that we now run either face-to-face or digitally and and they're able to reach schools from around Australia because of that. So yeah, it's been a bit of a journey over five years and now Sam and I both work full-time in this role um, to deliver our mission, which is to really help every young Australian to self-manage their own digital safety and well-being.
0: And an absolutely valuable mission that's needed, I think, at this point as well. I, I work in a community where a lot of our parents don't speak English so like you said if we've got that consistent messaging across our schools that can really bring that home for a lot of our families that may not know really what's going on and it's so interesting to hear that this was this kind of stemmed from something that you identified in the classroom when a lot of us think of that as something separate we see our oh, online issues would probably be at home where you have know, the assumption parents aren't watching the kids they're online so of course that's where the issue is when really it can happen right under our noses um Alice has got a question for you this evening
4: I do I was going to ask how the how the project kind of came about but you've you kind of (laughs) kind of alluded to that so I suppose my my question is I suppose how did it come about but how has your um teaching background you mentioned that both of you had that um connection in in that you were teaching together how has that background influenced the cyber safety project and how you deliver that message to students and to parents in the community
2: Um, Well, yeah, it's interesting. We were talking before we sort of hit record around one of your episodes around relationships. And I think, you know, in terms of a pedagogical practice, I think Trent and I were highly, highly motivated in terms of our teaching practice around relationships and engagement and the, the, the sort of developing the program that was at the forefront of our mind. I mean, we completely understand this is cyber safety education, which for a long, long time has been somewhat dry and dull and we have really designed that in terms of our student work and we've flipped it on its head and we are making it as highly engaging as, as, as possible. And we get the opportunity now to go back to schools two, three, four years in a row. And if you've ever want to feel like a wiggle, honestly, I'm, we <laughs> walked in a school recently and they're like, Sam's here, we're doing cyber safety. I couldn't believe it. <laughs> I never thought I'd sort of have those words sort of uttered. but." It is highly highly engaging um and i do think sort of trent and my own sort of personalities come through in in the program and um, throughout the lessons as trent sort of highlighted in our curriculum portal but also through our face-to-face and um, digital programs as well
3: yeah. i think a big goal for us has always been to to make sure that it's been about not scaring people or shaming kids for using technology i mean we know for example there'll be kids in many classrooms around australia that are under the age of 13 using social media for example you know we don't want to walk in there and tell them that they're doing the wrong thing but what we want to do is be proactive with them and highlight strategies and concepts that can really help them understand if they are engaging in those environments that they can keep themselves safe if they're in there Um, so you know we're not naive to the fact that they're on there and i think for an you know, when we looked and reviewed at other programs that do exist out there, um, you know, they're often from different perspectives and we wanted to provide a different type of perspective, which was education and proactive education first.
4: Yeah, and I love that it's engaging. I think that's been the missing link or link, missing part of cyber safety for such a long time is that it has been quite dry and and almost shameful on the student for, like, as you said, if they're using it and they're underage um you know you're doing the wrong thing and you're not supposed to be on it and yeah no I love I it mean, this that is puts a, the block it, up yeah. straight
3: away doesn't it, it puts yeah, a between you and the kids if you start saying negative things about technology and I guess that's really important for us as one of the most you know influential people in a young person's life for that year is that we want them to come to us when things are going wrong not yeah. think that they can't come to speak to us
0: yeah yeah absolutely I like that that kind of practice too helps reduces that mentality or that that culture around victim blaming. It's like, Mm -hmm. okay, they're in a space where they're engaged, they're communicating, they're enjoying whatever sphere they're in and they may or may not be in an unsafe situation that they don't know at that time is an unsafe situation. No different to someone who gets mugged on the streets Mm -hmm. that wasn't aware they were in an unsafe situation. So again, just building up that consistent language around how do we make, good choices around what we're doing which but is stuff, um yeah.
2: so important I mean something um, that something that Trent and I consistently reflect upon is even growing up when we were in primary school I mean three thirty would come around and you wouldn't sort of get to hang out with your friends until the next school day um so these children these students these young digital citizens are growing up in a world where there is a whole different set of life skills social skills that they ultimately require and and we're all working really hard to help them navigate that, and obviously impart those social skills in the in the in the online spaces they go to. It four o'clock, four thirty, when school does finish.
0: I've actually got the most horrific example that happened today as well. So my daughter, yeah, is still texting her friends after she's left for the day, and she uh, video chatted her friend. Her friend didn't want to be on video. She was happy to be on video. And she's just walking around our house. And my husband's walking around without a shirt on as he's preparing dinner. And like, you know, you never know when my one son's going to dack my other son and all sorts of things could be shown. And it's like, sweetie, that's not a safe situation to put daddy in, yourself in or your friend in as well. You need to be really conscious about how you're using that technology. And it was only later that she kind of went, oh, yeah, yeah. So that's an interesting conversation in my house at the
3: moment. Yeah, I mean, that's a great story. And I guess that one of the words you just said there was being conscious. And that's something we really promote to young people is we have to kind of build out scenarios and give them examples of different social situations that can occur because they just might not have ever experienced that before. And for them to actually sit and reflect, to think about the the broader picture here and what could be being influenced, what information could we be just beaming out to the world based on some things in the background or, you know, the. Um, the things that we might be sharing and saying so sometimes it's about just being explicit and helping them to understand there are certain situations that can lead to greater cyber safety challenges
0: and Aaron's after some tips Aaron what would you like to know
5: so one thing's about the teacher takeaway podcast is we want people to go away after listening and have stuff that they can use you know in their classroom the next day so What are your top tips for teachers when it comes to cyber safety and um, that, you know, digital digital well-being in the classroom? Well, I'll take this one then, Sam, by the sound of it. Do you want me to get started <laughs> and click in if uh, I
2: forget something? Yeah. I don't think like, I've, we've got, yeah, got, we don't have long enough. Let's go. <laughs> okay. Well,
3: okay. So I guess there are really important things that we can all do as educators. As I said, the influences to young people and having some habits that we do every day in our classroom. Cyber safety learning doesn't necessarily have to be an explicit you know, lesson on its own. There are things that we can do every day in the classroom to help kids. I mean, starting the chat's really important. Uh, one of the biggest things we've learned through the project is, Um, Helping kids understand why it's not safe online. So, having conversations about the types of people that you might encounter. And I think that that conversation should be had from foundation right through to kids up to year nine and 10 and 11 and 12. I mean, just talking about the fact that there are strangers who can pretend to be someone that, you know, that they pretend they're saying someone that they're not, Um, you know, tricky people that are scammers and hackers and trying to collect our personal information. And then unkind people as well is unsafe to be participating in spaces where that might be a sense or an environment that we're playing in. So, starting that chat is really important. And then modelling things that we can all be doing to kind of model the behaviour we want young to see in young people, like, you know, um, setting times on our calendars to be changing our passwords or even doing things like um, when you take a photo of your kids in your classroom or maybe even some of their work if we want kids to be asking permission and consent to take photos when they do of other people, then we show that with them as well. And we take, we we ask for their consent. I mean, a lot of kids have got consent by their parents to say, yep, you can take photos of them at, at school, but do you ask the kids if you're happy for them to have their photo taken, for example? And I think that's just a really great way to model And and something I guess we've really learned through our project too and and the feedback that we get is storytelling can be a really great way to kind of um, unpack scenarios and challenging situations online. So, you know, getting your kids to do some role plays, um, even setting up situations and sharing ideas around dilemmas that they've faced and getting them to unpack the challenges around that and then role playing their own and feeling empowered to kind of share their tips with each other as well. I really
0: like that language that you use there. You said stranger, tricky people and unkind people. I've, I've seen uh, articles about talking to your kids about the difference between strangers and tricky people because the police officer could be a stranger whereas, you know, Uncle Joe could be a tricky person, you know, <laughs> that kind of thing. But unkind, bringing that into the mix as well is interesting where I'm assuming this is along the lines of where kids identify what unkind behaviours are in that um, online sphere and, and deciding whether or not they associate with those behaviours.
3: That's correct. Yeah, thinking about the fact that um, spending time with unkind people can be harmful to our digital well-being. So, and, and, you know, making sure that we've got ways to identify when we are receiving, you know, messages or seeing messages or exposed to messages that are unkind. It's
0: really interesting.
2: But especially, I mean, in, in particular in the education space, starting this conversation, you know, at a young, a younger, a younger stage as possible, you know, foundation prep and have them highlighting why it's not unsafe online. I mean, because Apple have done a bang up job with the iPhone. They're, they're, they're not unsafe. You know, the Microsoft Surface I'm on right now isn't unsafe. It's the other people around the world that are operating within on this technology that does make the online world at times unsafe. And then mm. building upon that knowledge, where might we see tricky people? How might they connect with us? What might the app be doing to promote them, us connecting with strangers? All this can be built upon from a really young age, beginning with that consistent vocabulary that, that we feel is so, so important.
0: And James, your question flows perfectly from that.
1: <laughs> uh, no, definitely. And I really like the idea that you guys were discussing around consent and about the idea like we all know within our different departments that we work in the different states that parents provide permission to publish of our students whether it's on our school social media pages whether it's their names within newsletters but I really like the idea of creating that conversation earlier on whether it's in kindergarten year one year two whether it's a photo of their work to go on whatever social media platform you use to connect to your parents etc but do you mind if I take a photo of your work mm. do you mind if I take a photo of you to be posted because then that normalizes that behavior you're creating a norm from that five six seven eight nine ten within that space and it's kind of like anything that we know with students when it's explicitly taught or when they're seeing that behavior modeled it becomes a normalized behavior and we're more likely to encourage that moving forward so i really took away from that point but i was more thinking if if within our schools and within our classrooms you know and especially within our primary school and high schools, if we observe within our classroom, whether it's um, a student not using um, their their device and they might have searched some inappropriate things on search engine, or if we're in our high schools and we might uh, see students using their devices inappropriately um, with the, the content that they're accessing, how do you go about having those conversations with those parents when you have concerns for the way that those students are accessing their devices, whether it's content wise or whether it's how they're using them. How would you go yeah, creating those conversations with parents?
3: Yeah, and it can be quite confronting for a parent i think to hear from a teacher to say this is what we've discovered about your child but i guess when we think about this in terms of our role as educators and and, and influences in the community too you know just like we would approach a behavioral concern um, or, or issues that are happening between children even offline um, you know there are ways that we need to carefully approach those conversations and i think one of the ways that we can do that is to you know make sure that we're being really neutral about things because i don't we don't want people parents to feel like we're blaming them for letting them on social media early or you know that again is going to put up a wall but I think one of the things that we can do too is educate our community that we're here to talk about these challenges and um, I think you know there is as Sam said earlier there's always been this blurry line between home use and then school use and then whose responsibility is it to actually be managing this and I think it's a partnership it's really we're an adult in that young person's life and, and so is a parent and so if we can be talking to parents and educating and empowering them and engaging them in the conversations around, you know, if it's for example the behavior is you've got some kids at your school who are <clears throat> playing Fortnite when they're only in grade three, and that might be a or kindergarten or kindergarten exactly. <laughs> you know, sometimes it's actually because the parents just actually didn't really know the challenges around that, and again, informing and empowering them and giving them some resources to actually review these things and in a in a non-threatening way could be a good way to kind of approach things. And I think to Um, You know, being a bit proactive as a community and getting communication out to parents at different points is also really important because when if it's happening to one child with one parent, it could be actually more widespread than we really know. And so, you know, by educating our community through bite sized little newsletter items or sharing particular themed things like Roblox, for example, if there's lots of kids playing Roblox and there's some issues in your school around that, around talking to strangers or bullies or the way they're engaging with each other in the yard because of that behaviour, then if we can be sort of drip feeding some of that content out and be seen to be sharing those resources, I think that's really important from our perspective.
1: I really like like the idea how you said, like comparing it to when you manage maybe a behavioural issue, just being really transparent within your communication to the parents and that it's not attacking them about it, it's about working with them. And I really like the idea because I often find with students and when I've dealt with um, technology usage that sometimes the students have more of an understanding than their parents and that sometimes creates uh, a lot of problems and issues because their parents might have thought they're putting passcode locks and different things on it but their child is saying yeah it's locked then they unlock it but I really like your idea around providing bite sizes um, information and professional learning for parents whether it's through the newsletter or posting on your socials about
2: that appropriate usage as well I really like that idea. But it's so overwhelming I mean parents are saying to us it changes so so rapidly something that my child's interested in this week is different next week and how do I keep up and in terms of a manageable strategy that parents can do is just think about the game, think about the app and ask what we like to call as just the three Cs. What content could they potentially see in this space or this app or this website? What connections could they have publicly, privately, who can add them? And what the collection of the data might be as well. And if we can stick to those three things as a, just a starting point to remember, okay, my son wants to use this particular application what connections are they going to have, what content, content they're going to see and what data is going to be collected. Is just a starting point for them to further their knowledge a little bit later through other resources that the school can provide down the track.
1: Can you say those
2: three C's again, Sam? That's going to be my takeaway from this episode. Okay, they're going to see memory. Content that they're going to see, connections that they're going to have and the collection of the data that might occur within the application or website.
1: Perfect. Oh, that's a great starting point that I'm going to be sharing with my community because it's something that I think that is three questions that again isn't overwhelming, but to help them self-reflect as well. So thanks for that one. Great ones.
0: Look at collection of data one. So much more than what we think is going to be on there. Like just those Netflix documentaries that show you just how yeah. much I work with a woman who saw one of those documentaries i think it was the social media one and um she got rid of everything after when she found out how much you can really see from there the digital footprint that's there she just got rid of it um so and that's a grown woman making that decision going no that's too much for me so it's interesting that um when we come across that conversation with parents as well you're not having that judgy sort of why are you letting your child on tiktok yeah. when i was in year two the other day and someone said something about the word emotional and the class erupted with emotional damage <laughs> i know you're, i know you're on tiktok guys because that's where that's come from like what do you do about that when that's the whole cohort of them so it's interesting when you when you can see those things come into the classroom so in terms of what we are using in the classroom uh, what are some safe and effective search engines for kids? And I am old enough to remember Alta Vista.
5: <laughs> <laughs> ask so- G- uh, ask Jeeves. Okay. <laughs> I don't know what that is. Ask oh,
0: no Oh, my gosh. It, it was like the Google back then and you had to use, like, the, the Boolean key searches and everything to find anything. Oh, but wow. you you know, now really
3: learning it. Yeah. <laughs>
0: So I mean, in our classroom, it, we're, we're departmental schools. So you know, generally, Google is what opens up for us. I yep. mean, are we meant to be switching to Bing? What do we do? <laughs> yeah,
3: I think, well, we have to know that no search engine is completely 100% safe, because whatever a young person will type in, there's always some sort of artificial intelligence that will potentially be missing something. Um, so there's no 100% safety net there. Um, but you know, as many filters and blocks that we have in our schools usually do do protect kids. I mean, I remember a time when I was teaching grade three and I had an inquiry project my kids were searching inventions and they were, I had a group of kids on some devices uh, back when we used to have like hard um, desktop computers at the back of the room and I had a student run up to me going Mr. Ray Mr. Ray I found some images that were not nice I was just looking in I promise I just typed zippers and there was some very, <laughs> very inappropriate content oh that popped <laughs> up and you know that was That was missed by the filters and the that that
0: happened.
3: Um,
4: (laughs) My brain is just going into all sorts of places.
3: Yeah, but I guess we have to remember (laughs) that. Our kids need strategies on how to like, if they see something that is inappropriate, what to do, do the steps to get help and support. Mm -hmm. And, you know, to be honest with you, feeling quite proud that this young person came up to me and told me that this is what had happened rather than quickly kind of close it and ignore that it happened because it gave me a chance to debrief with that student about what they saw. We could talk to the parents about what had happened and we were able to have kind of a really good contextualized conversation about not everything online that we see is safe. So um, that's one that's one thing, but I guess, you know, I mean, I used to use, we used to use KidRex. So it was pretty popular for a while. It's basically just a filter over a website that kind of looks kid-friendly and it just uses the Google Safe Search filter, um, often built by companies that want to kind of, I guess, look like they're supporting cyber safety. Um, but we have to remember that sometimes those websites are not moderated. And if they're not moderated, then they can't be blocking things that aren't, are not being missed by AI. Um, so, you know, like I was even just having a look on KidRex the other day. I think the last time they updated it was 2019. So, you know, we need to be looking for things uh, on those particular sites too. You know, do they have the COPA badge on them to say that they are um, certified for the Child Online Privacy Protection Act? Um, there's the sorts of things that we can look out for um but again it's just it can be difficult to control so what we need to make sure is that when we are allowing our kids to search freely online when they have a big question for an inquiry for example that we actually make sure that we're monitoring but we also before we let them go searching make sure that they actually have strategies on knowing what to do if something does pop up that's not appropriate and also how to just sift between miss and disinformation that might be popping up as well
0: so what, what's the badge? Where would we look for that?
3: Yeah, um, so um, for example, I think the Kittle.co app, for example, just has a little badge that sits down in the dot bottom left-hand corner okay. where they've been able to get their website certified with that COPA badge, for example, but not mm-hmm. all sites would have that. Um, just even looking at the bottom of the website to check out whether, you know, who actually owns that site because it's often actually, you know, um, perhaps like I think there's a website called Fact Monster, for example, and that's actually um, sponsored by a tech company who have that kind of kids safe version of that search engine up there for kids. We also have to remember too, ads still appear on those sorts of things as well. So they could be exposed to advertising on those platforms too. So you're probably sitting there thinking, well, what do we use then (laughs) You Mm. if they're not safe? And I guess with younger children particularly, I think we have to really be careful and curate particular content where if they are investigating the government or if they are doing work around a particular health item or sustainability, and they've got big questions that we're debriefing those and unpacking those questions with our kids and then even supporting them to find useful websites that they might be able to use to find the answers to their questions as well.
0: So some of the advice that we've given our stage 3s when we've been doing some inquiry stuff around sustainability is look if it's got .gov.au at the end of it that's generally a trusted site is that the kind of thing that is is appropriate advice to be giving them
3: Absolutely. So looking at the URLs, exploring, I guess, the recency of when that information was posted, all of those sorts of things as well, um, can be really helpful skills. And I think we all need to have those skills as, you know, young people growing into adults as well and going to high school and into university that not everything we see online is true either.
0: And the other one that I used to do back in the day when we first started bringing uh, internet into the classrooms was adding four kids. So, like, let's say we're looking at dinosaurs, dinosaurs plus four kids, and that would help narrow down websites to kid friendly websites. Is that still useful?
3: It can be useful, but we also just have to remember that sometimes people with malintent know that kids are searching certain terms, particularly mm. even on like video platforms like YouTube. Yeah. So unfortunately, you know, people do, you know, as we said, be mindful of who you're going to encounter online. Tricky people set up things deliberately because they know kids may find them as well. So um, right. I wouldn't say that that's a safe tip to be giving kids
0: it would have been back in the day, but then, of Maybe course, yes, ago. people with yeah. malintent just figure out the tricks, don't they? They
3: do.
0: Um, let's go back to Alice, who's going to um, delve into a much trickier issue we have at schools.
4: <laughs> yeah, um, and I'm, I've am i got a kind of an incident that we had last year with a group of students um, around the use of, of Snapchat and the chat functions in some of the apps um, that the kids are using around you know, problematic conversations that they're having, but they then bring into the playground and into the schoolyard. How do we deal with that as as educators when things that are occurring outside online are brought into the playground environment?
2: It's interesting. I mean, I go on to the days of Tarzos and even Bayways, yeah. <laughs> just occupying the playground setting. I mean, we think back to Um, what was 2018 and the Momo challenge that people were seeing on YouTube coming into the playground setting and, and even, you know, TikTok trends and things that are occurring and call of duty and Fortnite being now offline games that they're sort of playing at the primary school setting. And then, as you mentioned, when we get to sort of secondary school and these social media applications are absolutely rife, things that are happening at home, online, transitioning into, into the offline space at school can be so, so, so tricky to deal with. Um, And there's obviously, Conversations are absolutely, absolutely key um, in terms of that um, fluidity between parents and teachers and the students themselves, Um, but also having the students identify and understand what that application is actually doing to keep them in there, um, to hopefully have them take a little bit of self-regulation away from the situation and understand why they're being hooked back in constantly to have those ongoing connections that are ultimately causing these ongoing social issues as well
3: think too you know we we know for many young kids they're in these private spaces that have been created by each other and there's actually no moderator or adult in those spaces to kind of I guess be chiming in occasionally and checking in with them and it's not until it's probably too late that these incidences kind of start to blow up and so you know a lot of the conversations that we have with young people is about the fact is that they actually create the culture and what they you know how they respond to each other in those spaces is determined by their own personal behaviours and choices that they make. It's a big responsibility for a group of grade five kids, you know, to be be in there moderating, as well as trying to just navigate the enjoyment of being in a group chat together. So one of the things that I think is really important is about those values-based conversations and having them to draw upon things like their responsibility as a digital citizen to be thinking about what they're sharing and saying in spaces. Today, as a 21st century person and a digital citizen, our integrity is something that we spend a lot of time building up, but it can be torn down really, really quickly, especially with things that we might say online, because once we say something online, it can be permanent if someone else screenshots it and keeps a copy. And you know that can spread and become further than just the audience of the two or three people you might have just within your chat. Um, thinking about strength as well, I think as an online citizen, we need a bit of bravery to be able to... Um, you know have some courage to kind of stand up in situations where we feel like we might need to call out behavior that might not be appropriate in these online spaces and then also empathy especially if it's getting nasty and unkind so responsibility integrity strength and empathy are four key values that we talk about all the time at the cyber safety project as things that no matter where you're 18 88 or 108 we all should be working on these values to develop those skills and if we can find ways as educators to be talking about those values social skill development development, as I mentioned earlier, like role plays and things like that, that's really important. Um, But I guess, you know, having some tools to be able to deal with reactive situations on hand is really important too. And a big part of what we do in our digital wellbeing kind of work is talking about emotions and building up social emotional language with kids, using emotions cards, for example, during circle time, and just actually get kids to identify how it might feel to, receive a message that's in that tone of voice i mean aaron i saw on your story i think today some of those great writing tasks that you were doing with your students um, around you know how should i say this on social media because we need to give them and equip them with some strategies and skills and scenarios and examples and you know there's multiple ways something can be said but when it's said online
2: you don't have tone of voice and yeah. you know, so yeah. we have to build those skills you know yeah but there's even somewhat at times for young people a real disconnect between my offline self and my online self and I can get away with being a little bit different online Mm. but in 2022 (laughs) they go hand in hand and that digital footprint that integrity that we build up the incredible opportunities that these young people are going to have moving forward in their future we know it doesn't take too many missteps online unfortunately to have some of those incredible opportunities at times taken away from you.
0: Yeah, and that, that group chat sphere as well, even though it's not publicly online, that's still kind of public, you know, with those kids if it's a big group. So one of the other things that my daughter's um kind of grappling with, I guess, is the fact that a good majority of her class have all started a Discord chat together um, and we haven't let her download it yet on her phone. I've only ever used Discord to play Dungeons and Dragons with, <laughs> with my friends, so I don't know what that looks like in a social interaction way that's ongoing like that and it's one of those things where how are 30 kids managing a group chat your notifications would be going nuts during the day so again yeah that interesting um concept too about being a a bystander in that group you know having a voice that way and, and calling out behavior when you see it like that that's really interesting uh aaron i think we're up to you what's your question
5: and this this i guess carries on from what we were just talking about with some of those problematic um things that happen outside of school but you know as teachers we've got a really important role as being you know mandatory reporters and making sure that we are keeping children safe so what what are your thoughts around what what should we report when should we report those things around problematic use of technology? What do we need to report? What should we report? How do we go about it? What are your thoughts on that?
3: Yeah, that's a a pretty deep question, uh, Aaron, but it's certainly something to consider. I think the thing that we can provide advice on is places we can report, go to report different types of online harms. Um, So, you know, every school will have a mandatory report or every educator has a mandatory reporting requirement. And if we believe a young person is at at risk, then we have those processes and policies to follow. Um, One good question to kind of always ask is, what's our school's policy for reporting disclosures as well? Or if we do discover things and and making sure our our teams are really clear on that, I think that's really important. Um, When it comes to things like cyberbullying or online grooming, It's the guardian or parent or guardian's responsibility to um, get the support from, say, the Australian Centre to Counter Child Exploitation, for example, if it's a grooming incident. So the ACCE.gov.au is where we can go to report that. Um, If it's cyberbullying, image-based abuse, which is... Um, the threatening to share an intimate image of another person, for example, um, or harmful and illegal content, we can do that through the Office of the eSafety Commissioner, which is eSafety.gov.au. We, though, as not being that young person's parent or guardian, can't report to eSafety. The parent would need to do that. So, again, that partnership between home and school is going to be really important in these sorts of incidences as well and certainly something that I know, Sam, you dealt with when the incident was happening um, with the student in your class as well. So yeah, online grooming, a is where we would need to encourage parents to report. Obviously the, the police and triple zero if a child is at immediate risk and danger. Um, but those two mechanisms are places we have here in Australia to be able to report those incidences.
0: And to put you in a rough spot here to answer this one, if we feel something needs to be reported and the parent doesn't <laughs> report it. I think thinking the same thing, back. <laughs> where I, I get well i guess from our perspective like we're in new south wales public education so i guess we can still go through the the mandatory reporting guide the mrg and see if it comes up uh, as you notifying know, child wellbeing unit or something along those lines but i mean yeah. i can imagine teachers teachers care too much to let things like that lie um i would never want to put a teacher in a position where they get themselves into some kind of legal trouble but i can understand that moral uh, heaviness that would weigh on them if they think something isn't being done to support that child? Are there, are there other things we could do other than really encouraging the parent?
3: Well, I think we have to support the child first and foremost as well. And I, I think that that's, that that's our immediate concern too and making sure that the child has mechanisms to be able to seek support and help if they feel that they need that too. Mm-hmm. So um, a lot of young children may not disclose to you, but if we could be promoting in our classrooms help-seeking strategies like showing them the eSafety Commissioner website, guiding them to the kids helpline Mm -hmm. website to show them where they can go to talk to a trained counsellor who could guide them with some steps and strategies to get themselves out of a challenging situation. And also just highlighting and alerting young people and educating them of the things that are not safe as well, because a young child might be in danger that we have in our classroom, but they don't really understand or know that they're in that position. Mm. So I think that if we can be embedding rich conversations around cyber safety and digital wellbeing challenges, helping young people know that it's against the law for certain behaviors and different age groups will be different conversations, obviously. But for example, we talk to year five and six students about the laws around cyberbullying. They apply to them because they're over the age of 10. So as, as citizens in our country, they need to know what laws apply to them as well. Um, there's also Youth Law Australia is a resource um, which you can use to help young people understand laws that are in really kid-friendly language and you can even filter down to the different states because obviously we have state and federal laws here in Australia that are different for different particular incidences too so I think educating them to know where to go to seek help and support Mm. as well is something we can really influence
5: as well that's that's really good advice and while where we're talking about these problematic things, because it was something that you just said then, Trent, about children not knowing that they're in a dangerous situation or doing something that maybe isn't the best thing to do. And last year, one of the things that I loved from you guys was you talked about um, teachers being aware of, say, squid game. And you went through, if you see these things in the classroom, it's giving you a, a flag that you know, maybe they're doing, they're exposing themselves to something they shouldn't. So have you got maybe some key things that as teachers, phrases, behaviors that we can be looking out for that's like, oh, hey, maybe this is something that a kid doesn't know that they're doing that could take them down a, you know, problematic path.
3: Yeah. Like if someone sends you the peach emoji, it means a request for a nude. Is that kind of what you mean?
0: Yeah. Really? I didn't know that specific. one.
3: Yeah, yeah, sure. That's I mean, a great example. we could probably be here all day if you wanted us to list everything that we know. And, no, you know, we're I always learning here. I didn't, here know, that I all didn't all know that. Then. I've learned something. So
4: I'll more. stop
5: sending people peaches. <laughs> 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 we'll have a peach because we need to order <laughs> <No>. some for <before laughs> the shopping. But, um, and no, tell everybody listening, list.
4: Sam just put up a peach.
3: <laughs> 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 no, Take us through it,
1: though, Trent. Honestly, those different ones, because I didn't know that one.
4: No. Oh, James, you're adorable. <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> I didn't know it either. Uh, at the moment, us youngins, um, there's, James. There's yeah. a lot of
3: um. I guess you could probably Google a teen emoji dictionary for example and you're going to learn a lot about what emojis actually can mean to a completely different group of people Um, so that would be an eye-opening experience if you wanted to kind of really dive into those things Um, for example um, the use of the corn emoji means porn so you know those sorts of things are good for us as you say Aaron to have your ear to the ground and be aware of some of those things that, that do occur And one of the things that we share in our parent night is the code code nine, which is CD nine Um, and I know we've got parents on the session, which means parents are in the room. Um, So that's a chat that young people might use to sort of let their friends know at the other end that somebody is a parent is around so they can maybe be heard. Um, So don't send me anything naughty or don't say anything inappropriate. So just being aware of those team speak, you know, coded language or those acronyms that they're using, they're really important to do as well. And I think, yeah, as teachers in the 21st century, just being across pop culture and, and you know, and the, the, the major apps like TikTok and Instagram and Facebook, obviously, and Snapchat for socials, but Discord for gaming, as you said, Beck, um, and that is a social networking platform now for, for lots of gamers who connect on servers there. And then understanding the key things that are a part of the big games like Roblox and Minecraft and Fortnite, Call of Duty, um, and and having an awareness that they exist and, and, you know, doing some of your own self-research. And you can learn lots about these things. And I guess, as Sam said, even for parents, if you know that your kids are interested in playing a game like, you know, in the pandemic Among Us became really popular, well... You know, looking into that specifically, even as an educator is, is, is important. So if you've got grade two kids and they're all starting to talk about Among Us as a game or spending 20 minutes online and doing a bit of a search, going to eSafety, for example, they've got an app guide over 100 apps and games on their website that you can learn more about. Uh, common sense media is a great resource where we can go and we often use sam and i constantly on common sense media looking at reviews of apps that we've just heard of um, because they can give you really good insights because it's got 450 app reviews of parents and kids who have used that technology Um, so you get sort of a really good different perspective on there too so i don't know hopefully i've rattled off a few ways to kind of learn a little bit more definitely definitely
0: I think if you're um, if you're someone who's, you know, not in the social sphere or gaming sphere or digital sphere that often and you're hearing your kids kind of talking about this in the classroom and you just think, well, I don't I don't know about that stuff. I think those key questions around like, well, are you engaging with people that you don't know? Is there a chat function there where anyone can find you? You know, are you is your personal information available? Okay. Those are still conversations that you can have, regardless of whether it's Roblox or Minecraft or any of those things. You know, if you're someone who doesn't know, those are key questions that we can ask our kids, or those um, scenarios that you're talking about might help make sure those kids go ding, ding, ding. I'm talking to someone I don't know. That's probably not a safe choice to be making when I'm Absolutely. online.
2: And over time, that is going to have such a big influence on the relationship that you have with that student. So when something does go wrong, they know that Mr. Mack has spoken to me about this. He's up to date with what's sort of happening and he's there for me when I need to chat to it. And there was actually some research recently released from um, Western Sydney University that highlighted young people are screaming out for help and support around how they want to be safe. They really do want to be safe. There's a bit of a misconception that they're trying to get away with things, but they actually want more and more research And they want the adults in their lives to be informed up to date and not punish them or patronize them. Because through our digital habit survey, when we work in secondary schools, we survey the students and we are hearing that only one in three children or students we surveyed will turn to their parents when things go wrong. And when we get a chance to informally chat to them about this, they sort of say, well, if I tell mom and dad what's going on online, something wrong, their immediate reaction is to take my device away from me. And that's how I live. That's how I learn. That's how I connect and how Mm. I play. So I'm more motivated to not tell them and deal with it on my own. So whether it's changing the mindset of parents and equipping teachers with the skill set to be that trusted adult when things go wrong and highlight and direct young people to those help seeking strategies of the kids helpline, the office of the safety commissioner, all freely available to us. We just need to know about it. And we just need to know when we can access it.
0: Yeah. And uh, any teachers out there who aren't aware, you can contact um, Kids Helpline and get sent out a bunch of free posters, flyers, business cards, magnets and things like that, that you can hand out to kids. So they've got them either in their bag or they can put it on the fridge at home or just have it available um, so they can use that at any time. And it's a free line to call, I believe, as well, if they have a year old payphone around or if they need to um, use someone's mobile phone, too. So you can order those resources your schools and have them readily available to hand out to kids if they need it as well um you've given us a wealth of information tonight I've definitely got lots of um, key takeaways but I just want to throw to um Alice James and Aaron in case there's any other questions that you had before we wrap up this episode is there anything that you guys had to add
4: if if um anyone wanted to get in touch with you how would they go about doing that
2: well, we have got a website, www.cybersafetyproject.com.au. We have a 1300 number, one 114 117. And you can contact us at info at cybersafetyproject.com.au. That's info at cybersafetyproject.com.au. I feel like you've
4: done that before, Sam. <laughs> by <cyber> safety Project. <laughs> uh,
5: like we've
1: the
4: movie
0: videos.
1: guy. <laughs> cyber
5: Safety Project on the gram,
1: people. On, on the, gram. the gram, that's right. You... on the gram. Did you say like, I understand you're based in Victoria, but now it doesn't matter if I was a school in Western Australia, you might be able to reach
3: out and support my school on our cyber safety journey? Absolutely. We uh, have a full curriculum online that is on demand for schools across Australia, all mapped to the Australian and state-based curriculum. So if you're a WA teacher, it's mapped to your curriculum as well. Uh, And we also have our DigiCursion program, which allows us to um, beam into your classrooms live and work with your students in an interactive way. And that's exactly what we did today, wasn't it, Sam? We spent all day working with some year twos and grade three and fours
2: absolutely i'm i'm in next monday we've got a parent night over in wa so 10 o'clock victorian time so um but we do not mind the the bigger the audience we get to tell and spread our message to um the the happier we are so absolutely statewide we've even got one school in hawaii trent that is having access Mm -hmm. to our curriculum so so, let's take the podcast and the project we'll do it we'll do a whole thing over there let's go (laughs)
5: let's do it let's do a tour (laughs) (laughs)
0: And and this is the absolute benefit of having someone who knows what it's like in a classroom and what we're dealing with the fact that you've mapped everything out ready for us and reducing our workload means that we can just get down to core business so we definitely appreciate all the work that you guys are putting in and we really appreciate your time this evening. Uh, We have to have our key takeaways for the evening, though. So, James, I know you said you already had one. What is your key takeaway from today?
1: Well, my key takeaway is one that I think that regardless of any teacher out there, the three things that Sam mentioned, if you've got a student um, who's accessing a different platform and you're working with a parent through that platform of what they're using, asking the three questions of what content are they accessing through the game, what kind of connections are they having, who are they interacting with, and the website they're using, what data is it collecting of them? And I think they're just three key questions to help us self-reflect to go, is that game safe for my child? So that's my key takeaway.
0: Alice, what are you taking away from this episode? I'm taking away those three Cs
4: because they are really good. We, I feel like they should be on a mug.
0: <laughs>
4: <laughs> but I really like the point that you made around you know, having those connections with the parents, keeping those lines of communication open around the use of technology in schools and at home and the, the importance of talking to the parents when we're noticing things that don't seem quite right and don't sit quite right with us, keeping those lines of communication open. So that's a really important takeaway for me.
0: And Aaron is going to click unmute <laughs> and give us his takeaway. I
5: am. I've mastered the unclick the mute button. Um, I think one of the things I loved in the conversation was we want to keep the focus on relationships. And I know for myself too often, um, I'm reactive, you know, you shouldn't be doing that. That's the wrong thing to do, but I want to create that place where, like you said, if, if kids aren't going to their parents, that they feel like they can come to me and they're, they're just going to get support. And I think it's really conscious to be mindful of what are our reactions and maybe what are the messages we are communicating unintentionally That is, like you said, putting up a wall and that's not actually what we want. We have to, like you said, accept the fact that the kids are going to do this and we have to give them the support proactively to know what to do in those situations or to feel like they can come to us for help Um, and keeping relationships, I think, at the centre of of what we're doing in this whole thing. That's my takeaway.
0: And and so important when we note too that our kids and, and ourselves are dealing with, you know, two plus years of a global pandemic where we've had limited contact and connection. So there's a very good chance they're just trying to connect when they're doing these things, whether it's to an interest or to a person, there's a reason for these things. They're not trying to make our world a pain (laughs) when they do it. Um, And the key takeaway that I'm going to take is the consent notion because I do run our school uh, Facebook page and I submit photos to our school newsletter obviously kids that do have parent permission to publish but I have never had that conversation around do you mind if I put your photo on class dojo or can I use your video for something or even your work because that's still personal to them can I take a photo of your work and I did it the other day with kids with kindy I just went and went snap 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 I didn't ask any kind of, do you mind if I take a photo of your work? And that's something I am going to very consciously embed into my practice with the kids. And if they say no, that's fine. That's my thing I've got to deal with. I'm not going to force them to do it because consent is an important issue all around beyond taking a photo as well. So uh, that's a big takeaway for me. And wherever you are listening to us, whether it's in your car, on your jog, or just before you go to bed at night, I hope you've got many things to take away. And we want to say, A very big thank you to Sam and Trent for taking the time tonight to meet with us, head over to the cyber safety project, give them some love. And if you've got any questions, shoot them through to us. We'll make sure they get into contact. uh, You get into contact with them and don't forget to hit us up on our socials on Insta, Facebook, and Twitter, send us any questions or topic suggestions. We're always willing to have them. Thank you, Sam. Thank you, Trent.
3: Pleasure. Thanks so much, team. It's been awesome having some time to chat with you and uh, hopefully we can chat again soon.
0: Excellent. <laughs> and that, that is going to wrap us up for episode five, welcoming the Cyber Safety, cyber safety Project to the show. We will see you next time.